Kubernetes community, and welcome back to the PodCuddle podcast. We are glad to be back for 2018. Tyler, how was your, uh, how was your New Year's? How'd you make it through? Uh, very cold, very cold. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was cold, cold down here in North Carolina. I actually uh, jumped in the ocean, jumped in the Atlantic Ocean because I was, I was nearby. So first time doing one of those polar bear things. And uh, I can definitely confirm it's, it's cold. It's cold in the ocean this time of year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, got out on the uh, snowboard a couple times over the break and, you know, and get out in the morning out of the car and you're looking at six. Um, <laughs> you start to question if you have enough layers on or not. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. I know uh, we, we had promised folks that we were going to have a show out on Tuesday. We were a little bit late. I think we're going to call this our, uh, hey, we're stuck behind email or sort of hangover edition, you know, New Year's, New Year's first week hangover edition. So what we thought we would do this week is we are going to do one of our basic podcasts. We haven't done a basic in a while. Um, and for anybody who is just sort of newer to the show, um, a lot of times the regular shows, you know, 30 minutes or so, typically we'll have a guest or we'll go real deep dive into a topic. Uh, these basic shows, which we've done three or four of so far, basically kind of a short version, kind of a 10, 15 minute version. We kind of take a topic that's pretty popular and we try and make sure we cover the basics. So anybody who's new to the community uh, can kind of get the basics of, uh, of what's out there. So we're going to do that one this week. And then next week we will have a, a show back on Monday, get back on our regular schedule and uh, get back to everybody's regular uh, commute and all that stuff. So Tyler, you ready to jump into it? Yeah, yeah. Let's get going. So I thought today we would cover kind of the basics of what's a service mesh. And the reason we picked that topic was I know you and I, uh, when we were observing what was going on at KubeCon, man, service meshes and, and Istio and Linkerd and Envoy and, and those technologies were kind of all over the place uh, at KubeCon. It was probably, you know, felt like a third of the show was, was service meshes. So uh, I figured we could dive into that. So let's, let's start with the basics. What is a service mesh? Why are people talking about a service mesh? Um, the, the, basically what a service mesh is, is it's, it's a layer that connects, um, different apps or part of the same app. So like if you're, you know, if you think about something like, you know, super basic example of say like a WordPress, right? You have the front end and then you have the back end. Um, a service mesh could control how they talk to each other, you know, uh, does things like, uh, service discovery. So, you know, the WordPress front end knows where to find the SQL backend, that type of stuff. But uh, obviously for something that small, it's not really that necessary. Uh, but if you're building a modern, you know, say microservice type app where there's thousands of components uh, to your app, they all the pieces need to know how to find each other. That's just even the basic piece. And then from there, there's higher level services and capabilities you can bring on to it, different types of routing. And then uh, things like blue-green deployments, canary deployments, circuit breaking, uh, injecting faults, all these type of uh, stuff that if you've watched any of, say, like Netflix, any of their presentations on how they do stuff, um, a lot of that they're, you know, is basically how they run their service mesh. Yeah. I, I think the way I've sort of understood it was, you know, it's to a certain extent, it's kind of a routing layer. It's more of an application level kind of routing layer. And, and the whole idea, the way it was explained to me kind of best was – you know, you can you can do application level routing, so finding other components, determining how to you know how to route pat you know what the patterns for routing traffic are, um, you know when to how to deal with failures. Like you could deal with that one of two ways. One of them is you can build that specifically into all of your applications, all of your microservices, and then you know a lot of people who have been building microservices for a while said you know that's that's maybe not the most efficient way of doing, it, especially if you have you know multiple languages you're dealing with or you know, just different patterns you're dealing with. And so the best way it's sort of explained to me was it's sort of an application level, you know, routing of traffic. And then it's, it's there to sort of be language or framework independent. So anybody, whether you're writing in Java or Go or 
Python or whatever, you could take advantage of this um, without having to write specific stuff for your application. You could sort of think about it as being kind of more platform centric as opposed to individual application centric. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you mentioned frameworks. I think, you know, people that are familiar with like, say, Java frameworks or, or things like that. That's the similar reason you use one of the, you know, why do you use a framework is, well, I don't want to rewrite these pieces of code every time I build something. You know, you know I would just hand basically let the framework provide that. Yep. And that's kind of the same idea here. Yeah. So second question we hear a lot is, so, you know, service meshes are fairly new. Um, we're hearing about technologies like Istio, Linkerd, Envoy, and so forth. Um, you know, what did people used to do before if they were building microservices? Because, you know, we've been hearing about microservices for a whole bunch of years now. So, uh, like, why, why is this sort of coming along now? Or what did people do before? Uh, I, I think a lot of this came from, you know, what you want, the web scale companies, like we t- mentioned Netflix, uh, Envoy came from uh, Lyft. Uh, when, you, when you're running these really, really large, really complex applications that you're updating multiple times a day, uh, you know, in the true kind of DevOps mindset, um, there's, there's a lot, you know, they're very complicated. Uh, one of my fa- favorite uh, tweets from, I think it's a couple years old now, was the, we, we switched from a monolith to microservices to turn all of our outage into murder mysteries. Right. Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like uh, that, right? So it's like, well... Where is this breaking? Um, how do we how do we track this down? So I think those companies, as they were building out their microservices, kind of felt felt these problems and kept tweaking their apps and building libraries. And if you go through, you know, a lot of you know Netflix's uh, presentations, say at uh, reInvent or or even just on their blogs and stuff, and the tools they've built over the years, uh, they're kind of you know custom one off tools. And as as you know, microservices have been getting bigger and bigger, and more come you know it's kind of moving down to say enterprises and stuff like that. You know, it's like well, we we can't all have you know rocket scientists building this every time from scratch. Like we want something reusable. And you saw these pieces start to get put together of like, hey, can we just build something as a service? You know, before a lot of these things when they were monoliths just happened inside of the app. Yep. Um, you know, inside the code base. And now it's something that has to happen kind of externally. Yep. Yeah. And I and I think, you know, for <clears throat> for people that are going like, okay, give me an example of that. Like, you know, the Netflix OSS software for the most part is what you would kind of consider kind of an early kind of service mesh, if you will, right? But it was very Java specific. Um, you know, it, it did things like uh, fault injection. It, de- it dealt with uh, circuit breaker scenarios. So if you had a piece of your application that failed, it wouldn't make the entire application fail. And, um, you know, I think what, what what's happened over time is we've just seen more more types of applications coming out there. So whether it's mobile or real-time stuff or streaming or whatever, um, you know, you're seeing more language is being used so whether it's node for real-time stuff or certain thing you know swift or something being used for uh for mobile or whatever it is um you know the, the people that run these platforms are saying hey m- maybe instead of having uh, an individual thing for every development team which then becomes something that essentially becomes legacy to that application forever um how do we figure out what's some commonality that we can do and then and then make those common common services and so forth well, I, I think I think another piece of it too is observability, right? So, you know, as you break that app into a thousand little pieces, and it's you know, if only the developers even know how the data flows in the app and can can trace all this stuff down, because you know, if your end users are getting slowness and you can't, you know, as the request bounces through, 
you know, 10, 20 different microservices and different load balancers and proxies and stuff. Where's that? Where's the slowdown happening? Right. And you have to be able to connect all those two together. And that's where like distributed tracing comes in and things like that. And it's like, well, you basically had, you know, like those companies had to build that into their code. Whereas now if it's, if it's done in this sort of more formalized way, there's tools that are designed to read that data and, and, and stuff like Zipkin and everything to be able to uh, see that all in one place. So you can see the request from beginning to end. Yeah, no, I, and I think that makes sense because it's, as much as it's cool to have people, you know, stand on stage and give you a talk and say, hey, if you're a developer, you write the code, you you run the code, you operate the code. You know, for a lot of customers, that's just a really hard thing to do. It's really hard to, to find, you know, sort of, uh, full stack developers or, you know, their culture doesn't really fit having, you know, the developers be the operators or, you know, the developers don't want to be the operators. So I think this is going to give a, a more balanced approach um, for doing that. Um, so just from a, from a maturity standpoint, you know, where, where are these things in, in terms of, you know, I mean, like we said, they were kind of a big topic area uh, at KubeCon, but where are the linker D's and Istio's and so forth from a maturity standpoint? So people have a sense of, you know, where we are in the hype cycle. Um, so what's, what's interesting about, um, I think Linkerd was kind of like the first somewhat, you know, b- coherent, uh, third party, if you will, uh, service mesh kind of setup. Uh, and Istio, uh, came along later. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a little newer, but it's actually a combination of a, of a couple of things. There was a, uh, project already at IBM called Amalgamate that, that started doing, you know, similar type things. Uh, pulls in Envoy is this, you know, proxying capability that, that Lyft built. Uh, so Istio is more of like, let's bring these existing kind of pieces together into a coherent, uh, strategy. And it seems like that's the one that's sort of the direction people are going, but it's, it's definitely really early. Um, in their, you know, in their life cycles, you know, gaining maturity, integrating with stuff like, uh, you know, stuff like Kubernetes and, uh, you know, different pieces of need to make it, you know, more seamless and, and easier to integrate. Uh, and it's also a, uh, question of, you know, the way I describe it to people like, well, oh, do we, you know, we're, we're, we're getting started in Kubernetes. Um, so should we deploy, you know, service mesh like Istio or whatever? And the way I usually describe it to them is like, well, so you're probably having like contain 100, 200 level container problems right now. Uh, Istio fixes like 300, 400 level container problems. Yeah. So maybe, you, know, you, you maybe don't need that complexity today. Um, you know, get get more comfortable containers and then, you know, kind of circle back around that. Because when you talk about the, the like you mentioned, like fault injection or, you know, some of the blue, green or canary deployments where, you know, you can route traffic very granularly in circuit breaking where you can set a, hey, if this service uh, errors out more than X percentage of the time, you know, take it offline and all these like really complicated things you can do, whereas maybe their apps aren't designed to take advantage of those types of things or aren't built that way, or they're just operationally not ready for it. So right. it's a combination of not just the maturity of the of the projects like Istio, but also the maturity of your organization. Right, right. Yeah. And that was one of the things, uh, you know, I mean, both of those projects, both uh, Linkerd and Istio and even Envoy, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, looking at you know, how long they've been around. I mean, both of them are still pre 1.0 versions, right? I mean, you know, probably less than a year in terms of being out there and really kind of getting banged on. And then the other thing that comes up all the time is people will say, oh, well, you know, do it, do I need to have this stuff? You know, it's got routing and load balancing and so forth. Like, you know, it, like you said, if you're really solving sort of 101, you know, 100 level, 200 level, you know, application slash container problems, you know, a lot of that is, is available today. I know like with OpenShift, I mean, we have very, very robust ways to do routing, ways to do proxying, ways to do load balancing. Um, you know, so this really is is getting into much more advanced microservices, hundreds of microservices, uh, you know, complex visibility scenarios and stuff. So, you know, something that people should be keeping an eye on, but 
don't, you know, don't, don't feel like, oh, you know, we have to get, you have to deploy this day one because, you know, we're trying to move some, some SQL databases or like you said, you know, some, uh, you know, WordPress or, you know, web, web applic you know, existing web applications over there. There's, there's plenty of tooling in the platforms that exist today to help you with sort of those one-on-one, you know, 100, 200 level problems. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think, it, you know, just like a lot of the things we talk about, like there's all there's this huge ecosystem and then, you know, they try to resist the sort of I would say the old school arch- you know, enterprise architect thing of like, let me build this perfect thing that's going to be perfect forever uh, kind of model of like start small, like use the stuff you need up front and then add the stuff as you go. Like, hey, you know, what? We, we need better visibility or, you know, we need to handle some some more advanced routing. You know, maybe you just start with Envoy, right? Right. You, for for your uh, inbound proxying and 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 level seven stuff and and then later you can add sidecars and and do Istio and things like that and just kind of you know start with what you need, um, not what you think you may need years from now. Right. You know you mentioned um you, know, you mentioned like sidecars and and stuff like that, which is a kind of a way you deploy containers together in a pod. Let's talk about it at a really basic level. How is how are these service meshes going to interact with Kubernetes? You know what what do I have to plan for? What, you know what what sort of will work by default? So so there's really two um, pieces to a service mesh, right? Which which is yeah, there's the so what we call the sidecars, the the pieces that are actually proxying the each each pod. So generally, what happens is you deploy, you know, in Kubernetes when you deploy a container, it's a pod, and it's usually, a lot of times it's one container per pod. Uh, so when you're doing a service mesh, you're basically doing two containers per pod. It's your container you're running, and then a sidecar of the um, of the proxy for the service mesh. So that's where um, your app gets, you know, the data passes through. So that way it's observable and, and connects back up. And those pods are controlled. There's usually a central control plane uh, where all that data is fed back and also where they get all their information. Uh, so it's like, oh, you want me, where should I route this? Sort of if, you, if you've looked at like software-defined networking, um, like any of those types of tools, kind of how that the, the architecture, it, it's very similar. So the, you need to run those pl- pieces somewhere. Most people then run them on Kube itself as, as pods. Uh, and then there's the, like I said, the sidecar. So it's definitely something you can add, um, you know, after the fact. Yeah, sort of, sort of coexists at the edge where your application is, um, and then it, it sort of acts as an overlay to, to the, you know, layer two, three, four routing and stuff you do. Um, and then I think over time, what we'll, we'll, what we'll see is people will become more sophisticated. Um, they'll begin to find ways to kind of tie it into uh, custom resource definitions and you know, kind of the other availability, you know, the different. Um, you know, deployment models and, and uh, uh, ways that you can you can manage applications in uh, in Kubernetes. So that'll that'll evolve as we go along. There were some very good talks this year at KubeCon uh, for folks to to definitely go take a look at. If you look up Service Mesh or Istio or or uh, you know Linkerd in the in the videos, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, definitely a lot of you know very early but very good talks about that as well. So listen, Tyler, I think we've we've kind of covered a lot of stuff. We kind of covered you know what is it? Why might you need it? Um, how would you deploy it? Uh, you know, what, what, do you need it today versus down the road? Um, I think we're going to kind of wrap it up with that for this basic show. Uh, we will definitely get some folks on to talk in more depth about Istio and, and Envoy and, and other things as we go along. But uh, I think this is probably enough for the first week in January to get people back uh, just kind of baby stepping into the year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, 
I think we we pretty much hit it at a high level, and it, you can go we can go down rat holes pretty quick with uh, with stuff like this, with some of the complex things you can do. But definitely recommend checking out a lot of the KubeCon videos around this, and and the uh, and we'll put all those links in there. Yeah, and one last thing before we go, um, if anybody is going to be in London at the end of the month, we are hosting a um, kind of a small OpenShift Commons gathering. It's going to be in London. It'll be on the thirty first of January, um, and we'll put a link to the show notes. But uh, you know, great opportunity if you want to come talk Kubernetes and uh, service meshes and service brokers and um, you know some stuff that we uh, that we're doing around OpenShift and all. But if you get a chance, it'll be kind of an all day event. Um, I'll get the, the link in the show notes, but it'll be in uh, in downtown London on January thirty first. So if you're there, we'd love to see you. And uh, if not, you know we'll be hosting another one at uh, Red Hat Summit uh, in in the May timeframe. So with that, for Tyler and for myself, we're going to wrap it up, folks. Have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.